Welcome to another episode of Dangerously Dainty, where we talk with underestimated people who make bold moves. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the 17th episode of Dangerously Dainty. Today, we're joined by the lovely Irene. She has started Irene Loves Green, and we're going to chat all about being environmentally friendly and how to live and thrive sustainably. A little bit more about Irene. She lives in Atlanta, Georgia, majored environmental studies at the University of North Carolina, and she recently started her own Instagram, Irene Loves Green, um, to specifically share tips on how to prevent food waste, how to take care of plants, how to overall live sustainably in an urban environment. And she even started a really great challenge that I was really intrigued by, the No By July. She'll talk more to that. But first and foremost, here's Irene. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for taking the time to talk about such a large topic. And like I said, before I hit record, it's so important to have this conversation because so many people right now have their minds and eyes on what's going on with the wildfires, with all of these recent hurricanes, even coming up to the Northeast. Um, And you know, Dangerously Dainty is all about self-improvement and empowerment. And we've had that one-on-one conversation when we first met about what your goal was to do with this page. And I know it's taken you, you know, a little bit out of your comfort zone, but I love to see it because I love to see someone's passion. Um, And this is a passion that affects all of us being environmentally friendly. So... Well, thank you. Honestly, it means a lot coming from you. And I know we've talked before about it, that like it's just getting started and, and pushing towards that beginning that takes the longest. So I really appreciate you coming to me and giving me these nice compliments. <laughs> yes, we have to uplift one another. Um, so let's just dive in and start with um, the icebreaker of the episode. So I will, will talk about it because you mentioned um, like eco-friendly fatigue um, and I can only imagine what that means and I'm just assuming, but I've tried to leave, li- live, excuse me, um, a sustainable lifestyle by thrifting and having a flexitarian diet being conscious of what I'm consuming and the brands that I'm shopping. Um, so for the first question, what's your first eco, your favorite eco-friendly brand? Maybe the first that you've come across, maybe a new one that you've seen since there's so many popping up now. Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned thrifting because that ultimately is my favorite brand. Um, anything that is not new is ultimately going to be best for the environment. So I've actually gotten this question a lot where people ask like, 
what's the best place to buy? And, and honestly, the answer is the best thing is to not buy, right? Mm-hmm. The best thing is to use what you already have and reuse. And if you don't have it, then you search for it somewhere where it's already used or where you can borrow it. So there's tool libraries in a lot of communities and cities, especially bigger communities, where you can go and borrow a ladder or you can borrow like that one uh, tool for a recipe that you're doing that you don't really have at home. Um, or you can do like clothing exchanges where you meet with people and friends and gathering and you say, okay, I have this shirt that's never wear. Do you want to trade it for something? So ultimately, although I would love to pick a brand that, you know, uh, fosters, you know, community involvement and it's, it's eco-friendly and it's also like socially sustainable. Um, ultimately what I love the most is not having to, you know, use those raw materials and already use what we already have. And so I guess if I want to introduce one, which is very, like it's known, it's Rent the Runway. So when we want to buy like a prom dress or a wedding dress, or or a, let's say you have like a meeting in the office that's special, you just rent it out for a day, for a couple of days, see what you like and you return it. So if I could say one, it's that one. <laughs> Honestly, I've never, I've always seen Rent the Runway and I, never thought of an occasion for what people would use it for or just personally but even like you said for like a prom or a special gala or if you're invited to a wedding or if you're a bridesmaid suggesting like hey why don't we just like rent a dress because what does anyone do with that after the one day so that's a really great one even like you said, not supporting like large corporations, even if they're like trying to be environmentally friendly. I do agree with that. And I've, I've found like in talking about a brand, this great influencer called the Zero Waste Chef. Um, and now I'm, I'm going to be moving into my own space. And I'm so excited to, even though this woman doesn't have a company. She has this brand on social media and shares great advice and tips on how to eat sustainably, how to craft your own vinegar at home without wasting extra foods, your own money, um, how to do bulk shopping, which I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I'm sure there are very sustainable brands, but what's better? than doing it yourself and again do the the renting it's not just dresses there's actually companies that rent out clothing for babies so they'll swap every month as they're growing for the right sizes the same thing with wedding dresses there's literally companies just for wedding dresses and the same thing with other everyday things that you know you get to just rent and reuse with around a community of people yeah for real well even recently learned about um reusable diapers and different um services that take cloth diapers and like disinfect them and clean them and send them to other parents and this it's a whole cycle and even as an adult like going through changes in your appearance in your body like I feel so wasteful throwing away clothes and even donating some people say that that you, you know, you don't really know where the clothing is going, um, which I'd love to hear your opinion on that. But it definitely brings to mind like life is so cyclical and 
why don't we just keep cycling through the clothing and repeating it and reusing it from other human beings um, instead of just like buying these new things that end up creating more waste. Right. Well, I think with the donation, I also agree that have a lot more to learn. Um, and it depends obviously at what organization you're donating it to, right? Mm-hmm. So like there's going to be some that, um, for example, at Goodwill, when they receive your clothing, they'll put it up, I think for, I think around five weeks or so. Okay. And then either it will get sent to like shelters or it will get recycled. Mm-hmm. Um, and recycling of fabrics and clothing, it's, it's pretty hard. And I think we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I do think it's better if you, if you like focus on community-based. There's a lot of like Facebook groups. There's buy nothing groups in which you can mm-hmm. just say, hey, these are the clothes that I have. Pictures are taken. It's up for grabs. Like I'll leave it outside my house and they come and pick it up. Or like I say, clothing mm-hmm. swaps. Or even if you want to earn money, like if you sell your clothing to Plato's Closet or a Buffalo Exchange or yeah. just like in Poshmark or all these things, it's becoming a fad which some people think it's bad, but ultimately it's great. Like even if we yeah. start valuing um, quality over quantity, that's what matters the most. Yes. And this is a plug. I hope this person is listening, but a girl I went to high school with has like great content on FinStyle. And she talks about that, focusing on the quality of clothing that you're buying instead of buying excess. And you know, even if that means saving for, you know, your $200 like purse of your dreams, if you know you're going to have that for years and save up for it and take care of it instead of buying five cheap purses from Marshalls, you know, all of this is habitual and it all starts at infancy in how we view consumption, which we can talk about as we get into this. So So first and foremost, I love to give a background on, you know, how people have started their passions. Um, So what got you interested in learning about environmental studies in starting Eden and Live Screen? Um, Obviously, you started environmental studies at UNC, but was this something that you always thought of as a kid? Absolutely not. Actually, I started studying environmental studies as, honestly, it was very casual that it happened. It was not at all planned. But when I did finally start learning about it, I realized how much I had seen of it in action in my everyday life and in my childhood. So I got interested in studying environmental studies because originally I wanted to do like science communication. So I wanted to be able to explain science in a way that's more um, accessible, easier to understand and, and connecting to reports like the IPCC report that's coming out that's like super catastrophic, but we don't have like advocates to explain it we're not doing anything. So trying to search that balance between like the two sides, I found a program in UNC that was environmental studies and communications. It was like a dual degree program. So I started off as that, but as I took 
environmental classes and focused on urban planning and environmental studies, I started to realize how I had already seen a huge impact in my own community. I realized that environmental work and sustainability work is not just saving the polar bears or saving the trees. It's right. mostly about our lifestyle and our quality of life. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, being equitable. It's about being economically stable. It's about finding that right balance that, you know, makes sure that the next generation has enough resources as we have them and that our lives are more fulfilled in a way. So an example that I can give you is I started looking at how infrastructure can affect or benefit people. And when I was in Colombia, in Medellin, there is a lot of really dangerous slum areas um, filled with gangs and they have they're basically Medellin is a city that's in the mountains and on the outskirts of the mountains started to um, be populated by displaced and workers and as that happened the only way to keep it safe because the police being actively present gangs started to form and they created like these invisible barriers and basically what I did was that prevented anyone from stepping of the city or stepping out of their barrier because they would get shot they would get killed the police and the firefighters had to ask the gang leaders for permission to go up so it was a place that you know you never really talked about it was like an untouchable place but the city created this transportation system that's kind of like what we use like a ski slope Like, um, yeah, so they created one of that. And it was the first one in the world to be created for actual transportation purposes that weren't recreational. Mm -hmm. And they made the stops of this cable cart strategic to where those invisible barriers stopped and started. Mm -hmm. So you had these people who had never had access to education, to the right hospitals, to jobs, to different possibilities, getting out of the slums and into the city and you saw how they they were also fighting for equality and for peace and you saw that that with this project that brought attention to the community the community started creating art that represented what they wanted and what they needed wow. to advance the schools started to pop up and so that really got me interested and that's kind of the, the connection when I started taking my classes that I was like holy cow, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to make an impact in people's lives. Um, And studying how, again, cities have a lot to do with with sustainability Mm -hmm. is why I decided to start the Irene Lives Green account, or Irene Lives Green. Um, It was basically a place where I was going to say, okay, we think living green as living in a farm and being super independent, Mm -hmm. but actually living in dense communities stops you from having so many resources resources per capita, right? Mm-hmm. So even though cities might produce more energies than smaller towns, cities have more people. So if you break down all those resources per capita, it ends up being lower. And learning how to use the tools that city has, that cities have, um, will actually help you become the, a sustainable self, basically. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. And you're making me think of my community and growing up in Boston and I'm thinking of like bus routes, right? Like the city is so dense with public transportation. The city of Boston is the first 
public transportation set up in the country in terms of like underground, like MBTA, public transportation, trains, bus, etc. And thinking that a lot of, I wonder now, were we being sustainable living in the city rather than living in the suburbs? Like, do suburbs have a less sustainable infrastructure um, because there are less forms of public transportation, people are relying on cars more. And so then that's increasing your, your, you know, your carbon footprint, your emissions. Um, But then there's the point of, are there enough like natural food resources in stores and cities? Although I found it interesting that there's a lot more fresh food markets at in like at Boston, where Quincy, where I currently live, is full of like stop and shops, which is essentially like Publix. They have a market out here so much that there's rarely any Whole Foods or fresh food markets on the Saturday, like on a Saturday or the weekends. So it's very interesting to see how in one state different areas function in terms of their infrastructure and how an urban setting can be more environmentally friendly because I always grew up with the mentality that living in the city was the opposite. And I, as an adult, was even thinking of moving to somewhere more rural to have like more space and have like a mini farmer garden to like have my own produce and but it's interesting to see that I can still do the same in a different way and have an impact on the environment by still living in the city as a young person exactly that topic of um, suburban versus urban is widely discussed and there is a lot of pros and cons to each obviously Um, and you you can definitely do your best in both settings. Like you can definitely live a sustainable life in both settings. I think that's the key element here is that there is not one solution. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not one approach that should be done. A lot of approaches are needed for something to happen. Um, but ultimately, if you think about living in a suburban area and having more space, you do need like more water for irrigation. You need to drive more to get to places. It's gonna be more separated from things. It's gonna require you to have more of a structure if you want a larger place to live in, right? So um, even though it's great to be sustainable and have your own food systems, which is like so awesome. And I think everyone should look (laughs) into that idea. Um, There's been a lot of more uh, urban food systems and urban food initiatives that are coming into the city of how to do rooftop farms, how to do community gardens, how to just grow herbs in your in your patio or in your balcony. Um, So either way, um, it works. Uh, But I did think that focusing on cities and and, and kind of changing that stigma of like, yes, cities can be dirty and cities can be a lot, cities can be loud. How can we make them like a great experience? How can we connect with what's great about them, which is the community, which is the people, which is the interactions that we have every day. And I think COVID, 
right now has made us realize how precious those moments are. Like yes. stopping by and having that sm- stupid small talk about the weather with a stranger mm-hmm. in a bus stop. Like it, it, it makes it valuable. Yeah. And I, that's a great point that I never correlated to like the environment, right? The environment is composed of much more than the earth and the greenery and the sky and the water. It's composed of humanity too. That is the environment. And maybe with more human connection, we find more appreciation to the earth and everything in this ecosystem. And maybe we would want to continue making it be a habitable place um so that's a different different take than I ever thought of and this is I'm jumping here but I do have to ask as someone who is moving into like one of their first own real places outside of college how can you foster like in a sustainable apartment and have this like fruitful environment with plants and things of that nature without that extra space of a home. Uh, So you're talking about how to, is it, is it, is your question a little more to plants or how to be like more sustainable let's start with plants I think that that's a great yeah especially because I was inspired by your showering of plants um content that you posted (laughs) on eating I love lives green um and I think that that creates like like you said in the pandemic there's a lot of emotions going around and with plants that creates this energy in in your home yeah, I agree. And I, I, I know it's a, it's a fashion right now to have plants, but it really does make you so happy. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, there's actually researches that show that it releases endorphins and yes. that just, you know, taking care of them and putting them in as many places as you can <laughs> and just obviously like keeping up with them. It's pretty good, especially I feel like for your mental health, honestly. Um, I live in an apartment that is pretty dark. I barely have any light. So any window that I find, I will put my plants. And I was lucky enough that um, I had one of my mom's friends. He was moving cities and he had, I mean, he had like 30 or 40 plants and he just decided to give them all to me. And I was like, this is the kindest gift anyone has ever done. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, yeah. And, and I do. And I think it's just beautiful decoration. So, yeah. I mean, my only con is my cat. I have to make sure that my cat does not eat my plants. Um, and that's a struggle, but I have kind of taken the approach of hanging in a lot of places. And I've realized that plants also grow with LED lights. So like even in my office where I don't even have a window, I have a plant that's growing. Um, and if it's feasible to have, you know, your own herb garden, I think that's the easiest way to start. You can put it in a windowsill. You could put it, let's say like you have a balcony and you could like put, there's actual planters that kind of go off the ledge mm-hmm. and that you can keep the space that you have in your patio, but still have the opportunity to grow. I don't know, um, green onions, cilantro, yeah. like 
lavender, whatever you want and whatever you use on a daily so that you don't have to keep on buying more. Fascinating. Interesting. And and how do you live sustainably in an apartment otherwise than plants? Like in terms of your, your water consumption or electricity yeah. um, and things of that nature. So I think the first step for you, especially because you're just about to move, is how you move. Okay. Because okay. Um, it can be very like wasteful when you move somewhere else. I mean, you're using bubble wrap, you're buying cardboards, you're buying tape, you're buying all these materials and you're taking trips, right? So um, most people move in places, they don't have to, they don't have to like go from state to state or they don't have to go to a different country. They're moving like 20 minutes away, half an hour away. The most convenient thing is just to be like, oh, I'll take a bunch of trips. I'll just do a trip a day and I'll bring these things and I'll bring these things. And, and that's the first impulse. But that's the one that I would say to hold your horses on, okay. because that means that what you're doing is you're spending so much gas going from one place to another. And you're not being first, you're not being efficient. And second of all, you're using way more resources than you actually need. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say want to start by just and trying to pack as much as you can first and then when you have like a a car loaded like an actual car ready Mm -hmm. then you go for it and and the same thing with the cardboards like the boxes and and the the cling and the wrapping paper so many people move everyone has to get rid of them so there are a lot of additional boxes that are just laying around like in the, in the back of the dumpster in the liquor store actually has a lot of empty boxes ready for you to pick up. Really? Okay. Do And again, what I was talking about with um, Facebook groups, the <laughs> buy groups usually always have a available cling wrap, bubble wrap, um, boxes, et cetera, et cetera, where you can get your materials from and then re-give them out again, right? So keeping... Yeah materials in motion and and wrapping things in 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 old newspapers in clothing you know using clothing to wrap like kitchen supplies and just being resourceful I think it's the biggest thing to move into it and once you're in your own apartment then comes the fun part of like how do I become sustainable okay and surprisingly do you know which is the appliance that consumes the most water i I would assume the toilet because it's running. Yes, correct. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the yeah. toilet, I think it's like, I don't know the exact number, but it, it every single flush is so many liters that just go mm. down the drain, right? So <laughs> I have this really nasty saying and you can use it or cut it off if you want to. <laughs> it's okay. But, Let's be real. Let's be real. <laughs> but the saying is, if it's not too yellow, let it mellow. <laughs> okay. So, um, so just finding ways to reduce your use or Mm -hmm. to use the time efficiently. So actually most of the energy consumption that companies have to like like try to go extra hard in supplying are the times when people get home or they're about to leave for work. So that's probably around like 6am to 8am or Mm -hmm. from, I think it's 5pm to 7pm. Yeah. So those times are like when the energy is the highest. So if you do want to be sustainable with your usage, if you can, you can wash your clothes, wash your dishes, do the things that really consume a lot of energy in 
in the low peak time because okay. that gives the pressure off the energy and, um, and therefore you are allowing for resources to flow better. Interesting. So sense. If, if now we're working from home, so if it's 11 a.m. and you have a break, do your laundry then as opposed to when once you're done with work exactly. at five. Okay. Balance out the, 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 the load, the peak load of energy that is needed in those peak times. Cool. That's really great advice, especially because it's September soon and people will be renewing leases or moving. College students are going to be going to campus. Um, So these are great tips. So we have a lot to get into. And this is a huge question. But can you talk about fast fashion, which I did a project my freshman year. And of course, this statistic would need to be updated. But at the time, when we were doing this project on um, fast fashion and how to be sustainable and what the industry would do in 2030 um, to be more eco-friendly, there was a lot of numbers surrounding how fashion was contributing to climate change, to carbon emissions. And it said that about 40% of carbon emissions were due to fashion. And feel free to share anything that you know surrounding that topic. But it's wild to hear brands like Louis Vuitton, like if one bag is not to perfection or what they thought um, based off of their designs, they, they burn the bags and those toxins are released into the air. And this has been a company that has been around for decades. So I can't even imagine other older brands like that. And these newer ones coming out that we all love, like Shein, is one that comes top of mind. Um, it's really tempting to give into these cheap deals, but it's it would be interesting to know what's kind of going on in the back end and why it's so cheap um, and to see the numbers of how many shipments are going on nowadays. I mean, I think this topic is so big and there's so much to talk about. Again, not just um, the carbon emissions, but how they're produced, the quality of the workers. I mean, the sweatshops, I mean, the the labor wages, everything. I mean, there's (laughs) it's such a hard topic to even delve in. But I think if we're going to just focus on the environment side of it, there was a point in time where companies something too good they would no longer sell anything. So the, the there's this documentary, it's called The Light Bulb Conspiracy. It's honestly one of my favorite documentaries. And it talks about how like originally when the light bulb was created, it was created to last hundreds of years. Same thing with, um, with the nylons that we put on under our dresses and everything. Oh, yeah. The commercials back in the days when they were made actually showed actual tanks, like military tanks, trying to rip apart the the nylons and not being able to. 
But again, the companies realize that if they can only sell it one time, they're not making enough profit. Oh my gosh. So what they my have to do would break is they all have the time. Enjoy- <laughs> exactly. Like, what? So we had to <laughs> we had to call engineers to start designing products that would only last a certain amount of time. So a printer will break on you after, let's say, 200 uses, not because it's broken, but because it was designed to not continue. And the same thing is with fast fashion, right? So by making these really cheap articles of clothing, where the purpose isn't even to sell the clothing, but to just make cash quite literally, um, you're creating these products that will not last long. They might look really pretty. I mean, I'm tempted to buy Shein dresses, Shein bathing suits, Zafu, oh my gosh. You name it, I've dreamed about it, right? Um, But what it means is waste because literally like you were saying, everything either gets thrown to the garbage while they're producing it or we use it for two months, then it rips, then it breaks and we can't even donate we can't do anything it has to go fast fashion becomes a really big issue we have having infrastructure um for textiles like textile recycling is extremely hard because the most of the materials are so delicate and not um strong enough to withstand processes that will convert them again into materials that can be used right so from an environmental perspective terrible from a social fueling companies that are making billions of dollars off of our need to or or our inability to become satisfied so I think fast fashion goes back to how we've been taught that right like even if we buy a new bathing suit and we see someone else wearing a cuter bathing suit we go oh I need it now mm-hmm. and you could even take jealousy aside it's just what we see it's what we internalize every single day Yes. So yes. I, I'm trying to keep it short Preach. because there's just so much. Preach <laughs> because thank you for shining the light on places like Fashion Nova and Shein and all of these Nasty Gal. I will admit the shirt I have on is from Nasty Gal. And it's so tempting. And There's also a stigma, I think, on thrifted clothing, and feel free to weigh in on this, but people think it's gross or weird to wear something that other people have. What would you say to someone who's a little hesitant to thrift, and are there other options um, to to avoid this lifestyle of fast fashion? I per- I personally know how to sew. So I, for graduation, I sewed my graduation skirt instead of buying something expensive. But that's not a skill that everyone knows. It's actually something that's being lost nowadays. Are there other brands like Cider is one that I've recently learned a little bit about. And they only make a certain amount of clothing. And if they go out of stock, it's done. They do not overproduce supposedly are those good options a hundred percent I mean I never understand I mean and and I'm just gonna be honest with you I don't understand why thrifting has a negative connotation and but I I have learned to accept that it's not for everyone Mm -hmm. I mean some people really believe in like 
the spirituality of things and that like the energy of people stay in, in the items of clothing um, or people think that it's just dirty and they don't even think that washing will be enough, right? And so you always have to respect because I feel like Dia, if you force it down someone's throat, it's never gonna come across, right? It's never gonna come across. Like I will do my part and I will take them to my favorite stores. I will do my part and show them my favorite websites online where you can get things secondhand. But I've like learned, and even the hard way that you just, you can invite people to local when they can, right? Are locally produced and that have like beautiful articles of clothing that will last a really long time, right? So there's definitely environmental um, clothing stores out there and I don't have them at the top of my head because I barely use them, but I can um, tell them about them or send them to you later and yes. we can add them I don't know at the end yes or I can add them to the episode um, notes but ultimately I would I would just stick to shopping local and helping the local economy um and if I know that with TikTok there's been a lot of a lot of new content creators that have their own clothing stores and are very sustainable mm-hmm. so I would just you know, do your research and see, I mean, it also depends on what topics matter most to you. Is it clothing that are 100% recyclable or is it, you know, not supporting sweatshops and supporting local businesses? You know, it just yeah. depends. Or trying to find a balance in both, you know, so. Yeah. Could you talk about your no by July challenge? Um, I think it's fitting to kind of shed light onto that now because if you can avoid going to a clothing store for a month and see how that goes for your bank account, for your impact on the environment and for your own personal life and decluttering. Um, I think that's a great challenge to accept. A lot of different stages to it. I mean, you could go extreme and I've seen people and I've heard of stories of people doing it for months straight where they will only buy, like they won't even buy food. They will go to local, um, like they will go, sorry, dumpster diving and get foods. There's programs that like get food and, and, you know, through food banks, they get their food um, and they don't buy anything, right? And so the idea is rethinking our consumption because, and we'll talk about it more throughout the episode because I think that's the most, the most important thing that we can do right now is understand how our habits affect the environment. And it's not just us, obviously, there, there are companies and there are systematic changes that need to happen, but those systematic changes um, are affecting our lifestyle. They affect how we think. So we have to rethink everything. So you say, oh my gosh, I want ice cream today. And you're like, do I need ice cream? Don't I have like that? Uh, I have cookies in the pantry. Let me eat those cookies instead. Or, oh my gosh, I want to, I don't know. I want to do a DIY, but I need X, Y, and Z materials to do so. But you're like, do I have alternatives instead? Can I just focus on what I have? Because what you realize you have more than enough and more than enough than what you that what you think that you do right and so even just thinking about things to do outdoors thinking about things that you want you have to reconsider and so no by july is this idea of if you want to go all the way and go extreme go for it right mm-hmm. but if you if you want to simplify your consumption habits if you want to say okay i'm only going to buy what's really essential to me so that's food right mm-hmm. and that's let's say i have toothpaste that's finished okay 
if it's finished and I don't have those like travel packs yeah. laying around with half empty bottles and I've already run out of those, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy my toothpaste. And when I do, I'm going to think about what it's, it's expected life cycle mm-hmm. and how I can get the most sustainable option that I can. Right. Yeah. So we're already reducing our budget, right? We're already yes. avoiding a bunch of crazy expensive things that we buy without even knowing it, right? Like a weekend goes by and I spent $80. And I'm like, how did that happen? (laughs) I was supposed to stay in. Um, So we have more flexibility of focusing on the quality of what we're getting, right? So not only are you reducing your consumption, what you're buying is gonna be better, right? So you're gonna think about what's the life cycle of it, right? What resources was it made out of? Where was it made out of? Where was it made? Um, who am I purchasing it from and how long is it going to if I buy bulk will it last me a longer time and will that help reduce packaging right so mm-hmm. that's super important to have and the rest girl be creative get creative <laughs> repurpose reuse um, rethink all of these R's that are very present use them get creative and you'll I mean I learned that I had a lot more to do than I thought at home right because for me it was more like Mm, I love to go just walking through Target and seeing what I can mm. find. Girl, Target. <laughs> but I started hey, no to more. just, I know, but I started to just think about what I had and how I could use things differently. And I think I'm repeating everything, but it's just taking the no by July and applying it to how you think you can do it best. If you can just, maybe you can't even resist buying, but you're going to be more conscious about where you're buying from and what the impact is and what those ingredients behind that bottle actually mean yeah. or be or, or the fabrics that your clothing are made out of or the products that you usually get in a coffee shop if you start yeah. thinking about what they mean in the grand scheme of things because it's not just a chair it's not just a desk or a pillow it is raw extraction it's transportation it's modifications it's getting it from the 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 warehouse to the actual store it's all these processes that we don't think about even to how it's disposed how we get rid of things like all of these things impact not us but so many people right yeah so that's the idea with no by july i hope i didn't go in a lot of circles or tangents no 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 if there's anything that should convince people to decrease or be aware of their consumption it should be that it can affect your finances and just the whole economics of it all if you're reconsidering if you really truly need that extra blanket or whatever it may be and it's also interesting that a lot of people in terms of food it's always been this disparity that people below the poverty level can't afford natural organic foods and that's why food deserts exist but it's also interesting that these are the same groups of people that are not over consuming and it really is all tied to the socioeconomics because sometimes when you have the resources you just always want more even if you don't need it. Yeah, food deserts tie a lot into environmental injustice. 
which is how lower income or minority groups of people are always affected worse um, from climate catastrophes. So the only thing, let's say like the cities that have the most money will have the most amount of stores willing to go in that are higher end, right? And it's a vicious cycle because you're thinking about a family who, let's say a family of six, right? Mm -hmm. And we have two working parents that are making minimum wage. Um, And they literally don't even, they don't have nor the much, nor the time, uh, nor the energy to go searching for vegetables and fruits and um, cook a full meal for their four kids. Rather, they're going to get the cheapest thing that they can get. And that yeah. is always the worst quality of food, right? So it's this, this, these, these food deserts are so interesting because they're so hard to break, right? And, and, and you have to understand the, the complex thing about, I guess, environmentalism, sustainability, and urban planning is you can have all these great ideas and we could have all of these solutions that are planned out. But until we sit down with the communities and we really think about what the actual issue is or what they actually want, we can't do anything. There was um, the story, and and I'm gonna butcher it because I don't remember it well, but it was talking about these researchers that went to uh, a small town in Africa. And this small town was having food poverty, like they they were starving, it was crazy, but they had this super fertile land. So the people come and they're like, what is happening? What are you doing? Let me show you how it's done. And they went ahead and they grew these huge fields, right? Full of, 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 of vegetables, corn, rice, potatoes, all of, all of the things that you need to succeed, right? So they were like, wow, look at this. We just solved a huge issue and they left. They came out a couple months later and everything was destroyed. All of the crops were gone. And and they come to the villagers and they say, what happened to the things? And they said, we tried to warn you, the animals come and they rampage everything off. So the problem is not us growing food, it's the animals who eat our food. Had they listened to the community, they had gotten a clear answer. Yeah. So I think I just switched the topic around from food desert and, and but, but truly it's focusing on community needs. Yes, yes, because Like you said, each community's needs differ and are distinct. So someone's needs, to put it in the Massachusetts sense, in Roxbury or Mattapan are going to be different in Marlboro and Southeastern Mass. Um, And into the topic of food and these fast food chains, I always get so livid when I see me coming from like marketing and a communications perspective, Mickey D's, Burger King, Wendy's, they're always targeting and have characters in their commercials who are people of color, who are people who identify as BIPOC. And that is a marketing tactic. They are trying to make people of color realize oh you see this black girl in the mcdonald's commercial that shows her whole trajectory of her life going to mcdonald's since she's a little girl it's super cute you see her going to college her 
her, you know, after her bachelorette party, she always goes to McDonald's. Then she ends up going to McDonald's with her, her four kids and her family. But that's just showing another example of like, you can do that too. And you can like get cheap food, but they're not, that's not going to be the best option for these people. It's just going to be the only option. And these people are just marketing off of it. Yeah, we could talk for hours about that. (laughs) So do you have any tips? Are you a flexitarian or are you a vegan? Um, And are those good ways of, and if that is not an option for you, what can you do? So I'm a flexitarian. I don't usually eat any meat and I avoid dairy. Um, But I am flexible with myself because I've learned that hard and rigid rules don't work for me. They'll just make me want something more, right? So, um, and I talked a lot about that topic, about being vegan, about being vegetarian, about being flexitarian in a sustainable food system class that I took in Denmark. And we mentioned and the pressure, the social pressure that comes with any sort of um, label or title, right? Um, and it's not just from you, it's from everyone. Like if you say you're vegan and all of a sudden you're eating a cheese puff, you get looked at like if you were a criminal, right? Yeah. And I think, again, that doesn't help the talk, the conversation about, you know, the, envir- the environmentalism is for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give it to you. Like agriculture is one of the biggest contaminants in the world. And there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different statistics on it. And I think statistics always change because as you were telling me that the, the um, clothing industry consumes like 40% of all carbon footprint. I I haven't heard that, but I have heard that um, agriculture consumes about 30 to 40 as well. So they might obviously change from case to case. And then we have to actually confirm those. Yeah. with the IPCC report. Um, but agriculture takes a lot of water, this land um, from the planet. It destroys habitats, it destroys ecosystems, it destroys fertile land. It really does, especially like the way that we do agriculture, which is massive and it's only one crop. So it's one crop. And what that does is it kills us. a big thing with animal products <laughs> um, because they take up the most resources. They take, they're very energy intensive. They're very water intensive. Same thing with dairy products. They, those are just kind of, that's why most people go vegan. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, right? You can all, mm-hmm. also look at it from the animal rights perspective. Yeah. Um, and perspective. And in any that you look for it, usually animal product will have the biggest impact and will hurt the most. Um, so that is why you should try to avoid and, and look for alternatives. So both of our partners are a little bit of carnivores. And I mean, it's something that, like I said, I studied, so I feel very passionate about. But again, I'm not one to enforce. I'm not one, to, I'm one to teach. I am one to guide, but I, I do not want to change someone. Yeah. Right. Um, so I try by giving you recipes, by trying new things, about telling them about something that they might not know. And that has helped. I mean, I've seen them 
I mean, I've seen him eat more more vegetables. I've seen Good. him eat more, more. Some vegetarian options are being wow. thrown out. Wow, <laughs> impressive. I mean, I'm, I really have not gone that far. So no, <laughs> it is a struggle. Oh yeah, it is. But it's it's. I think that for those people who really don't want to, um, although I think eventually they should. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's also healthier for you. So it's like way more healthy. As I've stopped eating meat, as I stopped eating dairy, as I start eating a lot of of even just like chemically chemically heavy foods, Mm -hmm. I've felt a lot better. And when I eat them again, I just, it like does not fit well with me. Yes. (laughs) And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. It's like when you're flexitarian and you go between two. Mm -mm. Yes, all the time. And (laughs) that, like you said, there's like shame and stigma associated from both ends and extremes. There's also like cultural misunderstandings as people who identify as Latinos and Latinas. um, Personally, it's always like disrespectful if you don't have a meal that someone has made. And as a Puerto Rican, there's just a lot of meat in these plates. And for a long time, I would try to just explain and say, it's not, it's not that I don't want to, it's not that it's a dietary, like for allergy needs. It's just the way that I am trying to live more sustainably. And that's just a personal choice, but different cultures don't understand that and there's a lot of like lack of awareness and education and that's a whole other topic of how to shed light onto that in a digestible way to people that have never thought of it that way just uh going off of that I think it's also just very important to just keep on educating keep on talking about it they're hard topics to talk about and obviously if you feel like it's not your place um just give it on the side and, and let it go. But if you do feel like you can have an impact and you can make a change, I would suggest talking about it. I mean, giving your input or, or, or sharing movies or documentaries. Yeah. It's not always the route to go, obviously, but I, I, as someone who tries to be an advocate, you, you have to have those hard conversations. Maybe not at the di- dinner table, maybe when you're sitting down on the couch and just talking about life and what you've learned. Yeah. But I've seen like my family also, <laughs> like Latino family, there's a lot of meat. Uh, but I've seen, for example, that they came to me the other day and they were like, hey, we're not eating beef anymore. And, and wow. one thing you have to do, and I've learned from my mistakes, is celebrate the little wins. Yes. Celebrate the small and big achievements that the people around you do, because if you don't, if for them, it's like disrespectful. I wanted to uplift eco fatigue and climate depression and how this is all very daunting to people and frustrating um, because even you do these small things and it just seems like it's getting out of control and out of hand. How do you cope with that? And what do these terms mean? So eco fatigue and, and, and climate depression are words that have been brought up out of a need that has been developed very recently, right? So climate change is not a new thing, 
but it's something that has been very, like it's more prominent now. And as, as I mean, someone who is in the industry and has studied it, like having, for example, classes of just backlash, it, it's very daunting. It's, it, it's, it, it is eco-fatigue. Like it, it is the feeling that, and I feel it too, like no matter what, how much I do, it's not gonna be enough, right? And it's a very easy thought or feeling to get lost in as well as climate depression. I mean, like you see the IPCC report um, and it's just such terrible and gloom, the doom and gloom talk has been taught over and over again, right? So it's important, like you say, just to be mindful of your body and mindful of your needs. In, in such a sad, industry or sad uh, career, you have to find the light, you have to find the positive, the changes, the good, you know, you have to uplift other people and other companies and discoveries that are happening. Not alone, that there's a group of people that are here to help and be together and create that community that you need. And right, so like we can do as much as we can, but we cannot forget that this problem has to be brought up to authority mm-hmm. right we we sign petitions we have to talk and raise our voice and 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 be the consumers that we want to be i mean being consumers mm-hmm. is so important so ultimately yes, <laughs> create community yes. um find the good because the good is out there and 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 lastly remember that you know you as much as you can Every day you can do something different for the environment, but ultimately sometimes voting might be worth more, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So yes. <laughs> that's kind Snaps. of what I have. I don't have the solution. I deal with it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say like, oh, what's the point of being flexitarian or what's the point of like shopping local or doing all of these things if it's out of control and it's just like left up to the large corporations and it's their fault. And I, I hear where you're coming from. I, I am understanding what you're saying, but that doesn't mean that you can't change your habits as a consumer and as a citizen who has the right to vote. You, if you truly believe that it is the corporation's yeah. responsibility, then check out your local government and see what they are doing to combat that because chances are there has to be at least a few political figures in your or area or councilmen and women who are trying to make a difference on the local level and make your voice matter don't give in um and and give up and thank you for for sharing that it's something that a friend of mine who was also on the podcast and talked about mindfulness with me, she was really passionate about environmental communication as well. And she got really discouraged after a job and just feeling like she wasn't tackling anything because of this continued climate change and everything bigger than her and she felt like what was what was my impact and it it is something to say especially for jobs where you're like advocating for 
a larger part of society and something bigger than yourself. And I, I totally relate to that. Um, as someone who works in the reproductive healthcare sphere, and there's, there's always the haters, there's always people trying to push you down. And just because maybe it feels like there's less of us, that doesn't mean that, you know, what you do doesn't matter any less. It does. And thank you. Thank you for all of the work that you put in on a daily basis and for like educating the people around you and know that that makes a difference. So thank you. And thank you for creating a space to talk about topics like this safely and openly and, and, and just being there for people and reminding them that, you know, take care of yourself because if you're not working your best, then you can't help others. So let's end with our last question, our rose and thorn. So like I always say, a rose isn't a rose without its thorn. Um, That makes it beautiful. Um, But obviously there's highs and lows to everything. So what has been your rose in leading um, and living a sustainable lifestyle and what has been your thorn? My rose? um... I think my rose was in 2019 when I got to live in a place that truly um, embraces environmentalism in their everyday life, which was Copenhagen, Denmark. I was able to have the infrastructure to bike, eat, dumpster dive, able to buy foods from places who were going to throw it out and then decide to sell it for a cheaper price for you to have. I was able to see some of the, the, the only like golden moment where I want in life and it is already ha- happening, right? And getting hit with the real world. <laughs> yeah. Getting hit um, with just it's hard to do things that you would always, that you have been wanting to do, but you just can't because of circumstantial situations, because of COVID, having to, to use so many single-use things. It's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard being environmentally so that's that's always the thorn you know can do right now right that's as much as I say like you know uplift yourself and and then you know take care of yourself and, and understand that you are human um that has been my thorn right just making sure that I know that I'm doing as much as I can and step by step I will get to where I want to be yes and and that's the whole point of you know this whole podcast of dangerously dnt like the out of the thorn, it gives you maybe more drive. It gives, it gives you more resilience to keep going. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's all I can say to keep doing your parts out there. Don't get discouraged. If anything, let this like all of what's happening right now, like fuel you and motivate you. Um, to find your niche and passion within this societal shift that needs to happen environmentally, if that's changing your diet, if that's changing your consumption, if that's changing your fashion uh, habits. Um, And there's so many more things that you can do in your community and getting involved. 
but I hope that this was a helpful episode. And I, before we leave, I want to uplift again, Irene Lives Green on Insta, where people can find more of your helpful resources and keep supporting each other. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dangerously Dainty. Make sure to turn on your notifications for new episodes. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I would love to see and hear your support on the journey of self-discovery. You can also follow the Dangerously Dainty Instagram at dangerously.dainty for updates on upcoming episodes and Thriving Thursday posts for motivation. Thanks for listening and keeping unexpectedly bold.